what conditions are stipulations. All right, folks, it is that time. We're going to talk about how all these new anti-drag show laws square, or rather don't square, with the Constitution. And really with the founding values of our country. You know, that old falsely, hand-wringingly professed Christian nation many of us call home. According to the last count, thank you, Time Magazine, at least 14 states have introduced or passed anti-drag bills. A point of clarification right off the bat. I am far from the expert in just how ranging and nuanced the drag world definitely is, and I'm sure some drag shows are very erotic. More power to them. But, not all, I'd hazard not even most, drag shows are erotic or even suggestive. Drag performances really run the gamut. It's not all Tim Curry in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, or the late great Divine in Pink Flamingos, and it's not inherently sexual. I'll say this, giving the benefit of the doubt to more reserved-slash-repressed viewers. Some drag, for example shows like RuPaul's Drag Race, could evoke shocking feelings in the uninitiated. But such viewers would be mistaking unfamiliarity, melodrama, ostentation, flamboyance, and the sometimes intimidating aesthetic flair of the fashion world for sexuality, as such viewers are wont to do. Think special edition Barbie dolls dressed by Bob Mackie. Other people's grandmas collect those? No? Just me? Well, it's a look, and you should check out the picture if you have it. In recent years, drag has become a pointed refuge for young people who are queer, are starting to feel like they might be, or even just are feeling alone, or inspired. Drag story hours, where drag queens in full regalia read age-appropriate stories to youngins and preach acceptance, love, and individuality, have cropped up in libraries around the country. There are even children's drag competitions, see the documentary Drag Kids, where young kids showcase their ability to lip-sync, self-style clothing and makeup, dance, and walk. These activities, it should go without saying, but, are wholly non-sexual. There is no sexual content, suggestive behavior, or nudity. Ironically enough, the pageants for minors are not too different from those more familiar ones for little girls except that the drag-based pageants are arguably less exploitative and upsetting. But hey, them's my values talking. In any case, uh, drag performances are the target of the newest wave of legislative attacks by the religious right. This kind of bigoted morality politics has been obviously on the rise since Reagan, thrived under Trump, and often hides under that old banner of states' rights, just like slavery. The GOP has been pretty open about their to-do list of social protections to dissolve, And with their ongoing attacks on reproductive rights well underway, birth control is next, they've set LGBTQIA issues in the crosshairs. The Washington Post reports that anti-trans bills have doubled since 2022, though it is worth noting here that drag doesn't necessarily feature transgender performers. So, why the hate? Well, you know how it goes. Hate is repressed fear, anger is repressed sadness, and cultures have embraced homophobia, misogyny, and all related bigotry towards the marginalized or different since time immemorial. I just learned that there is an arguable biblical prohibition on cross-dressing in Deuteronomy, and I am tragically not referring to the character from Cats. But even if we took all of that with all the grains of salt required, ignored the fact that these proclaimed Christians always seem to cite to the Old Testament, rather than the Christ-featuring, acceptance-preaching New Testament, 
this is not a Christian nation. We need not have the slam-dunk anti-religion, by the way, argument about the personal beliefs of the founders, because they did us a favor and memorialized their intention to separate any church and state in the First Amendment of the Constitution. It is just wild to me that we're still having these combos. But, moving on. We're going to talk about how the First Amendment protects expression. So, many, though far from enough crossing party lines, have recognized the ways that these anti-drag laws conflict with the free speech clause of the First Amendment of the Constitution, which prohibits Congress from making any laws abridging freedom of speech or, and also relevant, people's right to peaceably assemble. The federal Congress part of that clause has been extended to apply to state governments, too, through a process called incorporation. Free speech has long been interpreted to include expression, or conduct that serves an expressive value in the same way that literal words can. The U.S. places a really high premium on the value of free speech and is one of the most speech-protective countries out there. You can compare Germany's current approach to hate speech, which is way stricter. Thinking way back to Revolutionary War times, the fuck King George origins of our country, the First Amendment was drafted on the principle of protecting dissent, art, protest, information dissemination, etc. So art and differing viewpoints have always garnered the highest levels of First Amendment protection. In fact, just having what's called a hostile audience, in other words, speech met with significant disagreement, usually by more people, earns higher protection just because that risk of mob rule censorship is higher. So those are the set cornerstones of First Amendment speech protections. The contours of when, how far, and to what content those protections apply have changed a little with time and cultural values. And, as I always caution these days, you'll notice how much of a role the U.S. Supreme Court has played in this evolution. And given the state of SCOTUS right now, all that stayed precedent has a big ol' asterisk. But this is all still the law of the land until or unless them zealots change it. So speech jurisprudence has always categorized di different types of speech into tiers of protection, attempting to weigh expressive value against the societal harm in doing that expressing. Remember, a couple weeks ago, I gave the no yelling fire in a crowded theater example. So two such categories relevant to our conversation, based on not how drag really is, but how those drag opponents have framed the conduct, are obscenity and sexually explicit speech, or expression. Obviously, by using these analyses on drag performances, which again, aren't inherently sexual or obscene, may feel unpalatable, but we're saying, okay, even if we don't have the ambiguous moral argument over that aspect, anti-drag laws still violate the Constitution, and that is the part that matters legally. So there are hella weeds to get into on obscenity and sexually explicit speech, but I will distill it. These SCOTUS cases have confronted things like uh, an anti-Vietnam jacket worn in a government building that read fuck the draft across the back, radio stations airing comedian George Carlin's Seven Dirty Words monologue, and a company mass-mailing advertisement brochures that had images of people engaged in sex acts. Generally, the analysis first assesses if the material is, um, like, really dirty and super offensive. As Miller v. California, the dirty brochure ma mailing case put it, would the average person applying contemporary community standards think that the content as a whole 
appeals to prurient interest, which basically just means is it considered to be lewd in the community with the standards you have? And does the content depict specific sexual conduct, as described by whatever laws in question, in a patently offensive way? Note how subjective all these bars to standards are. Yikes. Then, if those questions yield yeses, the analysis determines if there's enough other value, alternative value, to the content as a whole that that other value outweighs the raunchy offensiveness. In other words, from Miller again, the third prong is whether the content, taken as a whole, also completely lacks serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value. So you can see our system has actually done a pretty solid job in theory of ensuring that content with any artistic, informative, or other expressive value beyond just shock and offense is safe under the First Amendment. One other clear takeaway, um, restrictions on speech can't target content based on its subject matter or viewpoint allowing opposing viewpoints to stand. Writing this out, I'm realizing that it's kind of confusing to distinguish the categorical value judgment that sorts types of speech like obscenity, yelling fire, etc. from this no subject matter prohibitions principle. Because isn't uniformly devaluing obscenity kind of a subject matter prohibition in and of itself? But I guess remember even those evaluations of obscenity do a case-by-case weighing of if there's any other societal value. And there's also an arguable distinction to be made when you think of subject matter prohibitions, this new category, as laws that target specific viewpoints. So in practice, restricting subject matter or viewpoint-based laws mean that like a state government couldn't ban all Republican campaign signs and let Democrats post signs, or presumably... Um, allow ads that depict heterosexual intercourse, but not homosexual intercourse. This concept, as you can kind of start to see, can go hand in hand with equal protection arguments. So this viewpoint doctrine arose from America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani, who was attempting to crack down on sexually explicit expression, like um, X-rated performances and movie showings in New York City, which had gotten pretty, um, uh, I hate to say seedy, in tandem with the sex content, because obviously it's the violence, not the sex, that makes a place dangerous, but Giuliani was professedly cleaning up the city. So his way of doing that was to pass a bunch of laws that were supposed to target sex stuff. The The court, the U.S. Supreme Court, struck down some of his laws and allowed others. They ultimately determined that the laws couldn't entirely ban a type of content, so dirty movies, that express a certain subject matter or viewpoint, in this case, nudie people doing sex, and legal restrictions should instead be what's called content neutral. The permissible alternative was that laws instead prescribe the time, place, or manner of expressing sexually explicit or obscene content. For example, they could use zoning laws to limit where an X-rated theater can operate, in what neighborhood, maybe not next to a school, etc. Or, in that George Carlin on the radio case, regulating the time that certain content airs, so that it's after many minors' bedtimes, and the manner of its presentation, so prefacing the content, or prefacing the radio show with content warnings. 
This time, place, manner guideline brings us to the last relevant free speech concept, which is public and less public spaces. Obviously, what you're allowed to freely express to your own friend in your own living room is different than what you can freely express on a subway platform or in an elementary school. Um, the norms and necessary protections differ from place to place. And as such, different spaces have been classified under different free speech tiers, like a traditional public forum, which includes parks or sidewalks, really open, totally public areas, a designated public forum, um, examples of which are like a public library or public transit station, places where the government operates, but, and it's for everybody's use, for all the people's use, general public, but the government can still close those spaces under their discretion. Or a non-public forum, which is not the same as a private forum, um, examples of that are like mailboxes or student spaces at a public university. Again, we're talking about government run, but they're only for use by certain people and not by the general public. Then, of course, there are fully private spaces. You can glean how dry and involved this jurisprudence is, but the big takeaway is that the government, and thus state laws too, can control expression in varying places to different degrees, depending on where, why, and for whom a venue operates. A lot of anti-drag laws implicate venues like event halls, parks, schools, libraries, and private businesses that still need state licenses to host certain activities. With school curricula and book bans already sparking similar conflicts, and all this anti-drag wailing over poor, scandalized children, some of these spaces could become real battlegrounds. The Equal Protection Clause should also come into play here. There are two Equal Protection Clauses in the Constitution. The one applying to state laws like these is in the 14th Amendment. The clause uh, entitles people who are similarly situated to equal protection under our laws. The, the most surefire equal protection argument in these cases would be your straightforward, no-frills, sex-slash-gender discrimination challenge. The court hasn't made a super clear distinction between sex and gender, which is why I use them interchangeably. Um, some anti-drag laws have directly banned drag queens, specifically, shout out to Missouri, uh, in which case the gender-based equal protection argument would ask why drag queens and not drag kings. That's a pretty clear violation. Even without the drag queen language, there's also an argument to be made that the similar situation being treated differently in different genders, thus violating equal protection, is wearing traditionally feminine clothing. In other words, when a woman wears, say, a leotard, skirt, makeup, etc., and performs, it's simply permitted performance, but when a man wears and does the same thing, he's violating these laws. Thus, an anti-drag law could still violate equal protection even if it addresses, quote, cross-dressing by men and women, because it's the cross part of cross-dressing that implicitly treats genders differently. Uh, whether there's enough precedent for the Equal Protection Clause to apply to gender identity or expression, because God knows this court wouldn't expand existing coverage, so we would need at least precedent to get there, is trickier. Um, the best that the U.S. Supreme Court has done on equal protection in the LGBTQIA arena has been to extend basic protections to same-sex couples, most significantly with the right to marry in Obergefell v. Hodges. 
But even then, when that passed with a more liberal court composition, the ruling was really narrow and obviously contested by the more conservative justices. And there's actually evidence that Obergefell, the ruling protecting gay marriage, is one of the next Roe-esque landmarks that is in this court's crosshairs. So there you have it. Finally, on the legal front, I swear this is the last thing, statutes that are too unclear to interpret and uniformly enforce can be voided for vagueness when challenged in court. And as you'll see, ne'er has there been a poster child for absurdly vague, impossible language like an anti-drag statute. So now that we have some of these protections in our mental arsenal, let's look at the bills that we're working with. The most common model of these anti-drag bills extends state laws that already target adult entertainment, such as stripping and topless dancing, to include all drag performances. The existing demonization of those sex work and sex work adjacent types of entertainment is its own issue, (laughs) but that said, those forms of entertainment are different from drag because um, eroticism or sexual entertainment is a primary purpose of most nude or semi-nude adult entertainment. Um, Tennessee's anti-drag bill has successfully become law. Um, It passed both houses of the state That statute bans, quote, adult cabaret shows in public spaces where minors can watch. In an attempt to clarify what they meant by adult cabaret, legislators expounded that they meant adult-oriented performances that include male or female impersonators. Now, while that bill made it into law, it is currently stayed by a two-week temporary restraining order, or a TRO, Only two weeks, um, but the issuing federal judge explained that the broad language clashes with the First Amendment's tight constraints. Doi. Arizona, my tempestuous purple home state, has also seen an anti-drag bill introduced. Having passed the GOP majority state Senate, it currently stands before the state house. Um, Democratic Governor Katie Hobbs, whose veto count of similar red nonsense is already soaring in her first year in office, has promised to veto the bill if it reaches her desk. The Arizona bill uses that same adult-oriented entertainment language um, and sweeps drag performances into the same category as existing adult entertainment. That existing definition of quote-unquote adult cabaret under Arizona law refers to, quote, typically fully nude performances, which are obviously a far cry from your average drag performance a la Nathan Lane in The Birdcage. One proponent of the Arizona bill decried how drag story hours, those library storytelling times with kids, are, uh, sorry, allegedly sexualize and indoctrinate children by very nature. Um, I I mean, it's just patently false. Um, The penalty provisions of the Arizona bill are more upsetting still. Someone who performs drag to anyone under 15 years old must register as a sex offender and serve at least 10 years in prison. It includes penalties for facilitating minors seeing those performances and even for those who enter a space where that's taking place. So penalties like this obviously also heighten the risks of pushing back, of testing a law's limits and enforcement, which could be pretty easy when the language is so messy. And this all in turn gives a law more staying power. When you're risking something that's not a ticket or a fine or an overnight in a holding cell, those are really high stakes. 
Also got to mention that so much of this mindset turns on the problematic perception that naked or partially naked bodies or certain body parts are inherently sexual. See also school dress codes, um, that school principal who was recently fired for showing a picture of Michelangelo's David, female nipple censorship, etc. But I suppose that is a philosophical lament for another day. Um, Oklahoma. Oklahoma's anti-drag bill is also awaiting approval from the state's House of Representatives, where it seems likely to pass. The bill's introduction elicited a heartbreaking quote from a 24-year-old drag performer in Oklahoma, who has watched in real time how drag hatred and anti-trans sentiment have gained legal traction together. A year ago, the GOP was talking about banning trans people in sports, Connor Coughlin told Time. They said they were going to stop there, but no, they're not. With the language in anti-drag laws often relying on, quote, gender assigned at birth, there is a lot of statutory overlap, too, between anti-drag and anti-trans issues. So now let's apply all these constitutional challenges and figure out what to do next. Um, On the one hand, applying that obscene sexually explicit analysis to drag and thus determining whether it gets for, like full First Amendment protection, is a no-brainer. The average person applying community standards shouldn't and doesn't think that your average drag performance appeals to the prurient interest, and a drag performance doesn't depict sexual conduct in a patently offensive way. But the challenge turns on these subjective standards and who's applying them. Benchmarks like community standards, average person, patently offensive, are all really variable on who's in power or in the majority. Returning to my previous philosophical lament, it only takes a generation's worth of mob rule to define, say, a secondary sex characteristic, like breast tissue, present on all genders, the nipple, and used to feed babies as an inherently sexual and prohibited body part. Thus, even the sexual conduct qualifier is technically kind of malleable, if the loudest voices decide the act of cross-dressing is equivalent to sexual conduct. Rationality militates repeating, though, that by most definitions, including the dictates of common sense and history and biology, drag performances are not inherently sexual. The community standards relied upon in an obscenity analysis are also, they have to be the nationwide community standards rather than statewide, So that technically makes misinterpretation or any legal fudging harder. Plus, the final requirement is that the expression be utterly devoid of redeeming cultural value, like art, education, or protest. It just takes one drag viewing to appreciate the fundamental artistry in the fashion, dance, performance crafting, what have you. There's entertainment value, there's potential therapeutic and educational value, especially when minors are involved, contrary to what the anti-drag folks are preaching. Even the most bigoted dissenter could recognize the risk of starting out on such a slippery slope that diminishes expressive value offsets. In the larger U.S. context, this kind of precedent would also stand to swiftly hurt conservatives, who are actually in a significant numerical minority and often thrive on, you know, relishing in hate speech protections to spew nonsense on social media and other platforms. The slippery slope from one to the other there isn't very long. That slippery slope slash blurry line would also be very practically difficult. 
There is obviously a litany of examples of performers who are assigned one gender at birth, dressing and performing as another traditional gender. I tried really carefully to say that accurately and inclusively. I am sorry if I messed up anywhere, but I hope you follow what I'm saying. I mean, hell, original Shakespeare did the cross-dressing thing. Um, beyond being absurdly confusing, this would be a nightmare to define clearly, which is already happening in the statutory challenges, and to enforce. If you have a law that prohibits adult cabaret shows or adult-oriented performance, but without the definitional clarity of adding the requirement of nudity, clothing removal, profanity, or actual or simulated sex, does that include a community college's rendition of the show Cabaret? Does it include a seminar on how to help your aging parent with estate planning, adult-oriented? You get the idea of where this could go, and that obviously also ties into that void-for-vagueness rationale that can invalidate statutes, too. Indeed, there was already a fumbling attempt at clarification when a high school yearbook photo surfaced of Tennessee's GOP governor in a dress. Um, the governor then distinguished that the law targets drag, which he described as obscene and sexualized, and not what he was doing, which was practicing a lighthearted school tradition. I, you gotta wonder, <laughs> anyways, um, so this raises a side issue, which, you know, in comparison to all these draconian full bans is relatively minor. But it raises an issue of why a man dressing as a woman is such a common cultural punchline in our society. The intrinsic comedy that we collectively seem to find in seeing that just smacks so strongly of misogyny and homophobia and transphobia, but that is neither here nor there. Um, finally, we went through already what that messy public forum, designated public forum, non-public, so on, um, risks to this type of law are, but to knock down one last pin, um, I have to mention that the Arizona bill directly references shows in, quote, public spaces, and I believe Tennessee's did too. Um, public spaces are where the most extensive protections of expressive freedom exist, so good luck, blammo. Wrapping it all up. <laughs> um, out of all the socio-legal crises right now, um, Anti-trans laws are so egregiously opposed to long-standing legal principles that they should fall. I'm fairly confident that this won't be a long-standing trend. Um, compare like the background of this fundamental value of artistic free expression and protecting that in our country to what, say, Roe versus Wade was resting on. Here we have a really strong legal tradition that is being opposed with these laws but still, who knows, these days. Uh, striking Roe also involved ignoring precedent, and that action of ignoring precedent opposed strong legal traditions, too. Then, you know, you have the fact that Trump nominees packed a lot of kangaroo courts around the country. And regardless, even best-case scenario, all these laws disappear. The trend of this way of thinking and these attempts also serves as an anti-LGBTQIA writing on the wall. Um, and even if this legislation doesn't fly, it probably means that there's more to come. 
before we go, I'm not even going to dignify the anti-trans child protection arguments by detailing any refutation of it. Suffice to say that if my child were lost in a public space, I would rather them seek out a drag queen than a straight cisgender man. So, speaks for itself. The best protection that we could aspire to to prevent this type of thing is always going to be federal legislation. In this case, stuff that protects gender identity, gender expression, drag performers or their performances, sexual orientation even, etc. We could really use an expansion of the federal judicial bench too, so that there are more balanced judges in all federal courts and the Supreme Court. But getting to that vote would require, or winning that vote too, require even more Democrats in Congress and also potentially a vote preceding one expanding the bench that would have to first repeal the filibuster. So the conclusion there is vote in federal elections, which means, you know, the general primaries, presidential, all those good things. Also, obviously, stay uh, vigilant of the who's and what's of what's going on in your state government and vote in state and local elections, too. There is strength in numbers and attention, so especially if you're somewhere where an anti-drag law hasn't gone into full effect and thus, you know, risking all those penalties, attend drag performances, host them, participate yourself, signal boost, um, bring your friends and maybe ways set older relatives and your kids. It's a fun solution to everything. Um, that is all she wrote, so to speak, for these anti-drag laws. I hope I didn't delve too deeply, and I hope it made sense. You can always find me for questions, because, you know, I love to yammer. Um, if you're not reading or hearing this on Substack, please subscribe. It is free. Also, I accept money if you want. Um, and I'm doing streams with the last podcast network's show someplace underneath the second Thursday of every month now, so come hang out with us online. You don't need an account. You can go to twitch.tv slash lastpodcastnetwork to either tune in for new ones or watch the old ones for a set amount of time, and I think it's really fun. I love you guys, and as my aunt and Warren Zevon have said, enjoy every sandwich. Bye-bye.